podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and today we have another great guest, Joey Cofoni. Did I pronounce that correctly, Joey? Uh, Cafone. Cafone. Uh, yeah, I should, I should have said that. I, and I should have asked. I, I meant to, and I, I, I totally spaced. All right. You got the, the like actual Italian pronunciation <laughs> right. So it, it, here in the U.S., it's just Cafone. All right. Yeah. I've actually been practicing some Italian. Uh, we're, we're going oh, cool. to Italy in, in a month. And so I've, I've been trying to work on a little bit of Italian just to not be an American in Italy. Uh, or as oh, American awesome. in Italy, but we'll, we'll chalk it up to that. But uh, Joey yeah. Cafone, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you on and, and to, to talk about some of your experience, but welcome. Kyle, what's up? Thanks, man. I'm excited. All right. Well, let me give you a brief introduction and then let's, uh, let's have you kind of tell us a little bit more about yourself. But Joey is the founder and CEO of Baron Fig an award-winning designer and entrepreneur, and the author of The Laws of Creativity, which I'm super excited to talk about. But why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your experience? Yeah, sure. Hey, everybody out there. Um, uh, my name is Joey Cafone. I guess you could say that I'm an entrepreneur and a newly minted author. <laughs> I founded Baron Fig. It's a company that makes tools to help you do your best thinking. And now I wrote The Laws of Creativity, a book that teaches you how to master your ideas. Under the hood, I'm a designer. Um, To date, I've done over 100 products, created over 100 products from scratch all the way to consumers' hands. And in a nutshell, my work basically focuses on helping people turn their ideas into reality. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to have you on and to talk about your experience, to talk about your book, which I have read and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed, which we'll dive into. Uh, But before we do, why don't you tell us outside of uh, work and design and writing, you know, what are some of the other things that you like to do? So I'm lucky in that all like designing and writing and, and ideating are my hobbies. I just, my wife actually gets really annoyed <laughs> because I'm like, it's like, I will wake up at six in the, six in the morning or five in the morning and it, like, I'll wait for her to get up. And then I'm like, what do you think of these ideas? And she's like, <laughs> leave me alone. I haven't had coffee. Uh, but aside from all that stuff, which I'm grateful that that's the way I am about those things. Um, and that was a challenge getting, recognizing that. But aside from that, I love to read and I love to play video games actually Huge fan my whole life of storytelling and all the ways that we can tell stories from printed word, spoken word, and you know, as contemporary of an expression as a video game and how you can not only have a story be told to you, but you are a part of it and can affect it. I'm just over the moon with that medium. Totally, totally agree. That That's uh, really, really interesting. And I note I, I noticed in your background like a potential uh, PlayStation Five. Is that right? Yes, you can see that. <laughs> I I, I, <laughs> yeah. saw, I saw it for I, for a second. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you're a are you a PlayStation? Uh, so 
Uh, I mean, I'm spoiled. I, I I am at heart Xbox. Okay. However, I have the, the new Xbox, the PlayStation, and the Switch. But they've all been out, you know, a couple of years by now, or at least the Switch has been out quite yep. a while. Uh, so I would say I'm agnostic, platform agnostic. Okay. Just get them all. What about you? Uh, we have a PlayStation Five, so you know we we got that. Let's see, last year, and there's I think they're still super hard to come by. If I if I'm they are we haven't. I just got this. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's crazy, right? Like the the difficulty, yeah. um, and we 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 were able to get one for my sister. She's she's big into PlayStation as well. And last year, like we we were doing the you know watching all of the 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 drops and stuff like that and so yeah um it's crazy but my brother has always been an, a big xbox fan so it's like we have the almost like the rivalry in yeah in the, in the family of like playstation <laughs> versus xbox but it, yeah. it's becoming less and less i guess a, a thing you know you just platform it agnosticism i guess is is more probably where we're headed anyway but that's that's interesting yeah cool all right well um I want to to dive in a little bit more to your background, and, and you kind of touched on it. Uh, you know, you're you're a graphic designer. You've created uh, a lot of of products from start to finish. You've been featured in a lot of publications. You've got a book now. Um, you know, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what set you on this journey, and you know, maybe sparked your passion in this field and got you moving in this direction. Yeah, it was a it was a complete accident, as I feel like a lot of things in my life are is I sort of, you know, I am not a mastermind of, of, uh, life goals. Um, at least I wasn't when I was young, I've learned from that back in the day. I used to just roll with it. For example, I applied to one college, never went there before the first day of school. If that kind of tells you the type of person I was. So I went to college for literature and philosophy and I spent four years studying, uh, the, the greatest stories ever told, and the greatest ideas uh, ever written from all these incredible thinkers. And my head was just filled with, with ideas. Uh, and I, I had no idea what I was going to do with that. I just loved it. And uh, it's quite a privilege to just be able to go and do that. Uh, but I think a lot of young kids who go to college don't necessarily think too far beyond, uh, uh, you know, how will this make me money? So I happened to wrap up my four years during the financial crisis. So there were already no jobs for literature and philosophy. So like you can imagine, it was like times 10 for the financial crisis. So I was able to finagle my way back into school and I went to art school. Um, I took my high school portfolio. Where I made all these drawings and whatnot. And I, you know, they sat in a class for four years. I brought them over to the school of visual arts in New York city. Again, I didn't apply to anyone, anyone else. I literally just repeated the process. And I was like, you look good. Here's my stuff. And they accepted me. I had been working for the majority of my college years and I was able to make my way through uh, the second round. So I ended up doing eight years of school, including summers, because I needed a place to live. And at design school, I was actually at art school, I should say. I actually went as an illustrator. I thought this was my thing, drawing. And the very first semester, I put up a piece of work on the wall. And there were all these beautiful, beautiful works by other students. And then there was mine. And mine was clearly the crappiest, <laughs> like significant 
trash compared to this uh, these other kids. And my teacher was so kind. Her name uh, is Lara McCormick. She pulled me aside and she was like, hey, you know, I think maybe you might be a designer, not an illustrator. And I had no idea. what What is a designer? No clue. Especially, like, I think in the last 10 to 15 years, Apple has really brought design to the forefront. And a lot, you know, a lot of other people and entities as well. But back then, I had no clue. She explained it. She changed my life that day. Next semester, I did design. And then it was like all of a sudden, everything clicked. The ideas, the stories that I had read, I all were fueled into the stuff I was making. Now, instead of at the bottom of the class, I was at the top. I would go to class, you know, in design school, you're maybe your design, hey, like you're assigned to do a poster. So you come in, you put it on the wall, everybody talks about it. I would do like 10 posters and put them all up. And I wouldn't just do 10 versions of one and say like, hey, these are all what I'm thinking. I would like do 10 independent approaches on 10 different movies, let's say, and just do the assignment 10 times. And I did this all the time. Um, And that passion just propelled me forward into, you know, eventually my senior thesis. Um, I wanted to do a notebook company. The teacher told me it was stupid. That made me want to do it more. Did it on my own. And now Baron Fig is 10 years later, we started a notebook. We have like 70 products, uh, yeah. over a hundred when you count limited editions and just kind of launched me into this man. But it was like, if you told me when I was 20, you'd go to art school, I'd be like, you're crazy. If you said I was going to start a paper notebook company, I would have said it's ludicrous. And, you know, if you said that I wrote a book, that's probably the only thing I would actually believe because it's the thing I've wanted to do forever. Anyway, it's it's been a circuitous adventure. That that's incredible um, and, and super fascinating. I, I, you you brought to mind. You know, I took some a number of philosophy classes in college as well, and remember uh, there were a number of philosophy majors, and and uh, I was uh, studying business and finance, and I remember asking like as as we were heading into the crisis, like you know, what exactly, cause I loved my philosophy classes, but I was like, what exactly do you do with a philosophy major? Like as you go out in, you know, in, into the job market and it wasn't, it wasn't like derogatory. It was like, I would love to do something like that, but I just, I don't understand. Like, I don't know what you do with it. Um, other yeah. than like you end up teaching philosophy, but that's super fascinating. I, you took that and then, uh, came into design. And I imagine that it becomes like really, really helpful as part of this overall journey. Um, taking a lot of these concepts and pieces and bringing them into the overall experience of, uh, how does all of this come together? And I, and I want to talk about your book because I think that that's where a lot of this really starts to come together as well, which I mentioned earlier is it's called the laws of creativity and, and you mentioned it as well. And it is an excellent, excellent read. And I'm not just saying that because we're talking right now. Uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording and uh, it, it really, really is a great read. Uh, and anybody listening will know that I, I was doing another book review uh, a little while ago uh, on a different book and that one was not so great. And this one, on the other hand, was a breath of fresh air. Absolutely loved it. So amazing, amazing book. Thank Kudos you. to you, Joey, you. on on everything in here. And we'll put the link in the show notes 
to this, but let's let's talk a little bit about this. And uh, you know what? Maybe, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about your your experience writing it, and you know what what brought you to it. You, it's something that you 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 just mentioned. If if somebody had told you you would end up writing it, that you would have believed that. You know, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. You know, why why is it something you've always wanted to do? And then you know, kind of what brought you to it? Yeah. Um, well, when I was seven in first grade, I had a transformative experience, and it's it's in the, the beginning of the book. I think you mentioned it. Uh, essentially, one day I came into class like any other day. Little kid Joey with his pants pulled up way too high. So that was what I did back then. And uh, the teacher handed out a worksheet to color. And it was of a cartoon worm. Remember, I, I could probably draw this worm right now. And so I sat down all excited. I put my arm around it so that no one else would see me create my masterpiece. And I colored it in. And 20 minutes later, I had it all cut out. And I was walking up to the board. And I was so proud. Mine is going to be like the best in the class. And I'm standing there, and I guess I was quite intent on, on the details because I was one of the last students to put it up. So everybody's was already up. And I'm standing there looking at all these worms, and individually, they were all a little bit different. You know, some people used dots or lines or cross-hatching, different colors. But as a collection, it was, it was this just bland sea of the same, okay? And little kid Joey had a powerful moment where he just could not be the same as everyone else today. And I, I went back to my desk and my teacher called after me, is everything okay? And I said, you know, yes, I, 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 just one more minute. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting at my desk, like just total abject sadness and, and almost horror at, at what I expected versus what actually was. And when I thought there was no nowhere left to go and nothing else to do, because clearly I, it was time for me to put mine up, I noticed the pile of scrap paper left over from cutting this worm out. And the brightest light ever ticked on above my head. And I realized I could make use of this stuff. And so I drew a microphone, a necklace, and a boom box, cut them out, attached them to my worm, and put it back up now on the board. And mine was completely different. I accessorized the worm. No one had ever done that. No one thought about it. The teacher stood behind me and she just said, and I'll never forget, I've never seen anything like this. No one had ever done it. And at that moment, my life changed and I became addicted to that feeling. And so that was when I was seven. And now it's, what is this? This is almost 30 years later. Uh, you know, I've followed that feeling my entire life. And I soon discovered that this is what creativity is, is what people call creativity. Um, and it, it manifests in all different ways. It's not, has anything to do with coloring or doodling. It's just thinking in, in unique perspectives. And um, over time, I realized that a lot of people did not feel creative, uh, even when they were. And I wrote the book because creativity really matters to me and it, it matters uh objectively and i'll explain that in a moment people have it all wrong what they think creativity is maybe you've seen this in your own life but it's often ascribed to pros graphic designers or illustrators or painters or sculptors and that's not it at all it's, it's anyone doing pretty much anything 
it frustrate, frustrates me that because when I ask people if they're creative, you know, they, they're like, no, absolutely not. Um, and in truth, they absolutely are. And so like, you know, I, I'm just blabbing away here, but I have yeah. so, so passionate about this. Um, is there anything you want to say? Before I, no, no, this is shoot? great. Okay. All right. Um, so it's like, it, I'm, I'm exploding with, with heart and soul here by accident. Uh, and I'm trying to, 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 to wrangle it. So first of all, let me tell you why creativity is important. And it's, it's really straightforward. Number one, kids are twice as likely to graduate college. Number two, adults are measurably happier and they get paid more. Actually, adults get paid 13% more when they employ creativity in some way. And organizations are more productive and get more revenue. So whether you're a kid, uh, an adult, or an organization, it's like objectively a positive thing to invest some time and energy into creativity. So then there's that. And now it's, well, I still get people like, it's too late, man. I'm not creative. And the last thing I'll say on this subject is that NASA did a study that found that 98% of kids are, are at the creative genius level. And um, I was, you've read the book, yep. which, by the way, is wonderful as a podcast host. And I so appreciate it because now would be the time where I'd say, Kyle, can you guess what percentage is left over uh, at adulthood? But I asked this question earlier in the week, and I got someone said, you know, from 98% to 50%. The actual number is 2% by adulthood are creative geniuses. So you go from 98% to 2 So essentially, my book, the way I try to write it is I'm not teaching you how to be creative. I'm just helping you remember what you already know. Yeah. And one thing that really struck me too, because you mentioned the 13% uh, higher pay, but the number that like really stuck out to me was like 278% happier. Like if you, yeah. if you, and <laughs> I, I, I underline that. So creative people earn 13% more and are 270% happier at work. I just had to like open that up because I underlined it. I was like, that's like the earning percentage like that's great like we all want to earn like more but to be like almost 300 percent happier at work is just like it's like mind-blowing like i i will take 300 percent happier at work like by miles you can almost i'll take the 13 percent pay raise too like don't don't withhold that but like you can you can keep that and i'll take the 300 percent happier uh for yeah. for sure uh well, thank so, you for pointing that out yeah and uh, and, and the things that, that you mentioned, like it's, um, and, and I believe that there's, you use that, that, uh, one of those quotes in there and, and I'm, I'm forgetting, uh, who it came from, but it's, it's, uh, it's not about being creative. It's about keeping the creativity. Like we're, we're born with it, but mm. we, we end up losing it, uh, over time and, you know, not, uh, not growing out of that. And, uh, you know, every, everybody has it kind of like you mentioned, but just not losing that as we, as we go through school and as we, as we become adults and, and, and making sure that it continues to be part of, of what we do and who we are. And it's not just for professionals, but it's for all of us. Yeah. A buddy of mine who read the book a little bit earlier than everyone else, he was like, dude, you did not write a book on creativity. And I was like, what? <laughs> 
where'd I write? And, and he goes like, man, this is a book on just being a better human. And, you know, that as one of the first pieces of feedback really struck me because, you know, I, I can see, I can see in retrospect how, what I wrote about, and we'll probably get into this about the mindset of creativity is just fundamentally provides an opportunity to be so much happier like you were talking about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So kind of diving into that a little bit, you, you have 39 laws of creativity and you mentioned specifically that you didn't invent these laws, but you went about uncovering them or discovering them. So um, why 39 specifically and, and how did you go about uncovering them or, or discovering them? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ariana, my wife was like, why can't you have 40? Like, there isn't 40. I, I only see 39. Um, because that is like you said, I didn't invent these laws. Um, and I, I think I, it's in the intro that I sort of explain a little bit on that where it's, it's, I merely had the privilege of being in a position long enough to do from doing something automatic and subconscious to doing it uh, deliberate and consciously. So I've been doing Baron Fig for long enough that uh, I've been lucky enough to work with some incredible creators like James Clear and Roxanne Gay and organizations like Netflix and dozens and dozens of wonderful creators doing things today. So I actively was able to converse with them and participate in the process and collaborate. And of course, as a designer myself, and so eventually it became very apparent. And then I, of course, you know, double and triple checked my work by actually talking to these same people. Um, but in the end, I landed on a three part book. The first part is the mindset of being creative. The second part is the process. And the third part is excellence where it's how do people rise above everyone else? And um, I got a lot of early, there are two interesting things I got in the beginning of early advice. So I went to an editor who had just gotten done editing one of the best-selling books in the world. And I told him about my book and he, he said that, um, you know, there's two things wrong with your book, Joey. Number one, you need like five, five laws, not 39. (laughs) People can't remember. And I was like, well, this is why the book has never been written because you have people like this saying it has to fit a mold that it can't. And the other thing he said, "It's, it's not playful. This is not creative. And I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, you know, where's the fun? Where's the fun in this book? And I said, you know, does a, does a book about cooking need to have edible pages? I'm not sure I'm understanding why my book about creativity needs to also express it. I'm writing about it so that you can learn. And so in the end, the way I wanted to approach this book is it's actually like, it's a nonfiction book that you would find about you know, other serious subjects as far as I'm concerned. And of course, there's a lot of playfulness in it in the way I write, I think. But I'm not trying to fit a mold where, hey, I'm going to sell as many books as I can by these five laws that no one's ever going to understand how they fit together because it's a hogwash. And I'm not going to create it with doodles and have that be, uh, you know, this is creativity is playfulness and bright colors. And it's just not true. And, And it's these things that have been perpetuated for so long, which is why it contributes to why we go from 98% creative down to two. It's just ostracizing as an adult. And it's either, you know, obfuscating the the actual knowledge or it's making it totally unrelatable. And that's like, 
the opposite of what I wanted to do here. Well, I, I think that makes perfect sense. And the way it's, I think the way it's structured is, is really well done. And the, the way that it is presented uh, makes a lot of sense and makes for really, really good reading. It, it could be just the way that I enjoy uh, both reading and writing myself where you have, you know, really good information, but very consumable information. So touching on that a little bit more, um, you have within each chapter, a really great story, which I love. Uh, It's something that I enjoy doing myself, like uh, having a a story that kind of highlights a point and then expanding on that with more information. Um, You know, for example, uh, I had no idea in your book, you talk about uh, Vera Wang as an I guess, spoiler alert for the, for this particular chapter, but she's a world-class <laughs> figure skater before she became a world-class fashion designer. Um, and you use stories like this throughout to illustrate, you know, some of the laws that you're talking about, about creativity. Um, and I'm interested, where did you get a lot of these stories that you use throughout the book to illustrate a lot of the, the laws and, and the points that you're trying to, to help us understand about creativity? Good question. It it's it, it was a it was an extremely varied experience based on where I was in the progress of writing this book. So there's actually you know there were three distinct experiences happening to get this done. There was the first third, the middle third, and the last third. The first third was so easy to write. It was about you know let's say thirty nine laws, about a dozen or so, right? The first dozen. Uh, it was like ideas that I had just been yeah. stewing on for a long time, stories that, I, you know, after 35 years on planet Earth, you just sort of collect at least 12 stories that you can then say, where does this fit? Mm-hmm. And then I placed them because I made the table of contents before I wrote anything, mostly. And that was easy. And I'm, and, you know, in the beginning, I'm like, man, this is awesome. I'm going to kill this book. <laughs> it's like I'm doing like a story a day. Yeah. And then the second third it flipped a little because I had exhausted all of the, the lowest hanging fruit. So now I had to go out and find new stories. And this is where it started to flip. So uh, as an English major, you know, I got pretty good at just like finding good stories and mm-hmm. getting to the heart of stories. I think, you know, that's basically what it is, interpreting stories. Um, and so I would read and read and read during this process. And now for the second, third um, I would come across a good story. I'd have to go find it, but then I'd be able to say, well, there's still, there's still about 25 to 30, um, laws left. So I had an easy time assigning, okay, this could go here. This could go here. But then dude, the last third where I'm only, I only have like less than a dozen, or I've got like 10 laws mm-hmm. left and I have to find perfect examples for these really specific things that, took triple the amount of time as the rest of the book to find those stories. And really it was just a lot of, there was no like magic bullet. I'd watch YouTube until I discovered something. I'd read Wikipedia until I discovered something, read books, have conversations, um, go to the bookstore and just kind of like look at what was on the front and really read the backs of books until something triggered me. It came from everywhere. And then once I found something, I would dig deep, but man, Getting that last last chunk was one hell of a task, but I'm glad you enjoyed them. Um, seems like it was worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, was there 
in in finding those stories, was there one that uh, was particularly difficult or that kind of stood out as like, you know, wow, you know, this one, it, it maybe took a lot of work, but it was really worth it to kind of dig and find or that kind of just came at, at the right moment or, or any that kind of were just like, you know, wow, this, this one just, it, it was the right story, right time, right, you know, right law applying to it. There were some, I mean, the, there were a lot of stories that it made me smile first. And then there were a lot of challenging ones. So, so I was determined not to have a, a book filled with um, white dudes from history, right? Be, you know, as a white dude, um, it, it, it's so easy to just go with what's familiar. Yeah. And, you know, my wife and I have had so many deep conversations about, you know, being a man versus a woman. You know, what, what are those experiences like at work? We talk about what's it like to be, you know, a person of color, different ethnicities, um, you know, gender and sexuality. And what was quite the challenge, and I'm not going to point to any one chapter. We could probably isolate a couple later on. But I think just exploring experiences from um, people who had, who were of a mold that I am not, you know, women, black culture, Chinese culture, uh, so on and so forth. That really pushed me in a lot of ways that I'm grateful for. And I, you know, not only did I do my best personally to write these stories and put myself in places like that. Um, and I would name some names, but a couple of these chapters, they don't tell you the person right away. So I don't want to spoil any more than I have to. Um, and then we actually, you know, I, I combined a few methods of talking to people I knew and also hiring professionals who were of a certain group that I was not to read it from the perspective of, you know, is, am I being accidentally naive or ignorant and, you know, doing my best to, to be more representative, even though it's a book is such a solo endeavor. You know, it's, it's unlike a video game, let's say, or a movie where you do have all these contributing perspectives. Um, so I don't even know if that answers the question, but that's, that was, that was a really valuable experience Yeah, in putting these stories together. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And, and I think so important. And I think it, it's really, really, again, I think well done because the, you know, the stories are incredibly varied throughout and there's, you know, it, it's not, you know, the same types of story throughout, you know, it, it's kind of like we were talking about and, and we'll touch on a little bit more, uh, a range of stories and a range of industries. And you know, again, it's not all uh, technology or it's not all, um, you know, American stories or, or, you know, white people or, or things like that. So, um, I think that's great. So I want to dive in a little bit to, uh, creativity, and you, you touched on this a little bit before, and obviously, you know, the book is about creativity or kind of even more expansive than that, like your friend said, um, about being a good human. But how would you define creativity? You touch on this throughout the book a, a few different times in a few different ways, but how do you think about it and how do you define creativity? Yeah, the simplest explanation is that creativity is the practice of ideas, that's it. And when you put an idea into action, that's called self-expression. 
And I think here's where we start to get these um, misconceptions where expression and self-expression needs to be some grand uh, non-commercial purpose, like a painting or a sculpture or something or designers for commercial purposes, but very obviously, you know, quote unquote creative. And that's not it at all. It's the practice of ideas, which can happen and does happen every single day. For example, and I don't say this in the book, every day you have the average person has 6,000 thoughts. Whether you want to or not, you're having them. So with a few tweaks, you can shift your mindset to start to take those thoughts and put them to good use. And it's actually not that hard. It's, it's incredibly beneficial. And so essentially creativity is the practice of ideas and the book is about, hey, how can you improve your practice of honing those 6,000 thoughts into stuff that can benefit you more since it's happening already. Yeah. How have you, how has that creative process or that, uh, that process of shaping and changing ideas evolved for you throughout your career? And how has writing this book uh, changed the way that you think about it, uh, both in your work and your life or, or has it, changed it for you or shaped it for you in, in any new ways? Yeah. Uh, I think you know, this is a book I couldn't have written like 10 years ago, let's say. Uh, it's actually about 10 years ago that I started taking notes on my phone. Uh, and my, this note has jumped, you know, several phones over the 10 <laughs> years. And I, it, it was just, just bullet points of just random thoughts about creativity. I didn't bother organizing it. I knew one day I would want to use it. And so, you know, I mentioned earlier about creating that table of contents first. The day I sat down, thanks to my wife uh, during quarantine, who said, if you don't do this now, it's not happening because you were stuck at home. Um, I was able to put the table of contents together in a day. And it, it was at, at the point in my life now when I did that, creativity is so demystified to me that it was easy. But like I said, I couldn't have done that a decade ago. I needed to go through the learning, but uh, the creative process is the same as cooking or working out or, or building Ikea furniture. It's, it's very straightforward. And the lessons I learned over the years of building a hundred products and so on and collaborating with all these people has helped me um, really isolate the laws. And, and my favorite way of explaining this is, let's talk about traveling. So uh, there's, there's tens of thousands of cities, I think, on planet Earth. Okay. Um, and none of us have been to all of them. It's impossible probably in your lifetime to do it. But if I told you, if I named a city and I said, how would you get there? You could say, hey, I would you know, hop in my car or get a bus or a taxi to the airport. I'd get in a plane or I'd get on a train uh, or I would drive there if it's close. And then when I get there, I follow all these signs until I get to the city that I'm looking for. But you've never been there, yet you know how to do it. And you use that same process to get to every city. Creativity is like that. There are roads and planes and trains and signs that you follow and even though the end is a mystery, the same process gets you there every time. And 
after doing it so many times and actually being passionate about how I was doing it, not just what I was doing, um, it became clear enough to record these laws and put them in a book. That's great. Um, I, I want to touch on a few of the of the different laws and a few things that you kind of talk specifically about in the book and some thoughts that kind of came to my mind as as we were going as I was going through it. Um, and I actually wrote, so I have a bunch of underlines and then was uh, writing some notes. But laws two and eight, which are the law of disruption and the law of curiosity. So challenging assumptions and asking more questions, um, which I think are super critical. And I kind of go along with the mindset that we were talking about earlier. Um, and I think in being creative and really in a lot of the work that so many of us are doing, I think are so important, you know, how, how do we challenge some of the prevailing assumptions or some of our own assumptions? And then how do we ask more questions? Um, how have you found that these in particular uh, you've used in your work and how do you approach, you know, these, you know, kind of these two laws and this mindset of, of challenging assumptions and asking questions in your own cre creativity and in your work? That's a really good question. So the law of disruption essentially states that you have, states that you have the right to challenge and question and approve upon um, any ideas that are handed to you. And we're actually trained, and I do mean trained growing up, that that is not the case. At school, the rules are not broken. The teacher is not questioned. And so when we get into the real world, we follow that paradigm that we've been handed. And the law of disruption flips it on its head. There's a, a story that I'll briefly explain, which is essentially Alexander the Great goes to, um, I forget the name of the, the, the city, and he sees that the, an oracle has said that there's an ox cart tied to a pole, and it's been like that for hundreds of years. And the oracle said that anyone who can untie it would be uh, you know, the next king. And um, no one was able to do it for hundreds of years. And so Alexander the Great, of course, oh, I've got to go check this out. I'm Alexander the Great. Uh, so he goes there and he inspects it, and it looks like he can't untie it. And whispers start to float around this uh, atrium as people are watching him. And then all of a sudden he stands up and he goes, it does not matter how the cart is loosed. And he takes out a sword and he cuts the rope. And, uh, you know, he actually then goes on to do exactly what the Oracle said, you know, and whether you believe in you know, prophecies or not, it's fascinating story. And, um, you know, it is endured for a reason. And that's because there are more ways to solve problems than uh, were initially presented with quite often. And so it, it, this law takes a look at the inherited assumptions and tries to tell you that you're we're often incorrectly limited, not by what we can do, but what we think we can do. And what we think we can do is often something that people have told us. And so the chapter provides examples as well as questions you can ask yourself to break through. You know, for me, it was like starting a notebook company. Um, you know, everybody was like, that, that's stupid. And I had a different perspective of coming to notebooks, not from the product point of view only, but from the brand point of view to say, hey, you have companies in 2013 who are making notebooks and all they do is show you what other people are doing in the notebook. And it's all like Moleskin was just beautiful illustrations and everything. 
yet you actually go into reality and you see what people are doing in their notebooks and it's messy. There's a lot of words. It's ugly. People can't read it the next day. And you realize there's a massive disconnect. So for me, you know, my disruption was the messaging on which we talk about ideation was totally wrong. And again, I do think with this book, uh, I'm now talking about creativity. And I think the message previous has been quite misleading. That's, that's disruption. Um, and then there's curiosity and curiosity is you know, the only way to know what is not known is by asking. Don't fear the answers because they don't hold power over you, but questions are journeys and the ones worth going on old unknown destinations. So of course, you know, there's a chapter about questions and there's like the, the king of questions, Socrates and the Socratic method, you know, I teach all about that, but there's two fundamental types of questions, external and internal. And I found that people are either one or the other leaning. And an external question is where you're like, whoa, how, you know, how does this microphone work? Or why does uh, water boil at the temperature that it boils? And then you have internal questioners who are like, why do I feel the way I'm feeling? Or um, how can I adjust this feeling that I'm having? Or so on and so forth. And I break those down a little bit to kind of ex- explain how you can, once you become aware of them, you can leverage them, leverage questions. And then how they, when you're really good at external and internal questions, you start to naturally develop ideas. And then I go into my favorite zone of all, where I I talk about uh, the value of questions that don't have answers, right? There's philosophy, you know, what's the point of life? What happens after I die? A lot of people kind of shun those questions as if they're worthless. You'll, You'll never know. But actually, it's because you'll never know that it makes them so valuable to exploring because no one can really be wrong. You can't be right, but you also can't be wrong. And so you, there's a freedom in that. And philosophy, um, you know, helps you look, at, continue to look at world and the world in a different way. So together, the two laws of disruption and curiosity, um, they help you identify false assumptions and ask questions that lead to unexplored opportunities. Yeah. I love that. It makes me continue. I, you brought up the example of, you know, the, the training. And I think that school... And definitely work, you know, continue to push us in that direction. And you know, we get educated and trained out of that. And kids are, I feel like kids are just naturally questioners and and curious and always like uh pushing the the envelope as far as like questions and and always like raising, you know, the assumption. And it's, I feel like it's so important for us not to lose that. Like, I feel like my kids, for example, like they're always, always questioning everything. And from like the small stuff, um, pretty much every day we'll have those conversations. Like, you know, why, why are certain things, this was just last night. Like, why, why is, why is this shirt red? Why is that thing blue? Like why? (laughs) And and they'll go even to the more philosophical questions. Like what's the strongest force in the world? What's the strongest force in the universe? And like getting into like these really like existential things and then, you know, getting, and then asking questions about questions. Like, is it okay to question things? And then like, yes, question everything. Don't. And like, what if people don't want you to question things? Like, that's okay. Question it anyway and always ask questions yeah. and be curious. And that, and I don't know, that helps me because it's like always ask questions. Cause I mean, there's times when it even goes against, you know, cuts against my 
grain because we're raised, you know, not to question certain things or not to, uh, not to question those assumptions. And it helps turn it back in and be like, okay, what are my assumptions and how can I question those things? Even as a product person or as a designer, like I feel like our training is to, to ask these questions. And even sometimes we can fall back into the not questioning or not, uh, you know, not being curious enough. And how can we continually push the envelope to into some of these laws of, of disruption and curiosity and really just being even more uh, curious and questioning about all of these things. So so it's such an important mindset if, if we want to be creative in my opinion. So I just, it was like really, really resonated with me and, and I love it. No, no, I'm glad you pointed that out. And it's, it's gotta be, I don't have any kids just yet, but um, it's gotta be a really neat reminder when you're faced with that experience every single day that like such a fresh perspective that they have, does that affect how you go about your own thinking? It does. It it does so much because this is like, these are literally every single night conversations that we have, like at, at bedtime, like it always. And I think it's, it probably started as like a bedtime delaying tactic, which kids are great at, but it just, it always goes into questions of, of those types of things. Like, you know, how fast, you know, how fast can dragonflies fly? You know, how fast? And I'm like, (laughs) and I feel like it's to get me to, to the point of like, I don't know, like, I don't know the answer to all of these questions, but it's like, yeah, just the things that are on their mind. Like, you know, what about this? Like, you know, how come, you know, uh, you, you know, what, what caught, you know, why are clouds shaped like that? Well, how come other clouds are shaped like that? And all of these just like random things. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't thought about those things. And it just like always is like spurring more of these questions to just be more observant, but then to dig deeper and question like, you know, what are the things that I may be missing in not just life around, but in the assumptions that I have, which continually causes me to dig deeper just about the world around me. And, and it's, it's definitely raised like lots of questions about my underlying assumptions, like things that I've just taken for granted that, uh, you know, I, I assume I know, or things that are just, uh, you know, it's the water we're, we're swimming in. And I'm just like, I, I, I should question those things and I should like think deeper about it because, you know, should it be that way? And I don't know that I know that, um, managers and people at work can get a little bit annoyed, but like, I'm, I feel like now I'm always the one for years now. I've always been the one that's like, should it be that way? Like, why, why, why are we doing that? And like, why that's is that's awesome. But I feel like that's the only way that we can really get to the heart of, of some yeah, of these things, but for sure. Yeah. Um, I, you, you had another, well, before we get to that, like, um, the law of connection. And this is one that I've always had, uh, an interesting relationship with and and with, uh, mastery. I, I like to think of it and the, uh, kind of drawing on a range of, of skills or interest and mastering, um, in a single area and you kind of touch on this and, and it kind of got me thinking a lot about it where you talk about creativity 
being the ability to bring in ideas and connect them from a range of different uh, either disciplines or areas or um, different places. And, and I think that that just makes a ton of sense. And so if, if we really master it in one particular area, sometimes we lose that ability to have kind of a range of, of experience and, and connect ideas from a broad spectrum of places. So I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on that, on this idea of like mastery versus range of skills and how does that kind of apply to the law of connection in your opinion? Yeah, uh, that's, that's a good question. There's definitely a lot of, there's a lot of dimension to what you're saying here. Uh, the law of connection is, is one of my favorites. It says base concepts can never, neither be created or destroyed. They simply merge to form new combinations. It's um, essentially saying creativity. Did I say this already? Creativity is a misnomer, right? The the name you're not actually creating; you're just combining. Um, and you know that's that's another misconception that people have about creativity that I need to make something new. When actually, no. It's like the more you learn, the more you go out there and you pick up these fundamental concepts from the world around you, the more building blocks you have to work with. And it's it's kind of that simple. Um, I wrote, you know, in the book and I am terrible at pronouncing, but Ludwig Wittgenstein, Wittgenstein, I can only say it when I go really German. Uh, he's a, 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 sorry, Austrian philosopher. And he would say that when you talk about a broom, you're not making a statement about a stick and a brush, right? And sort of reversing that is that a, a broom is a stick that someone attached a brush to. Mm-hmm. And it is that fundamental. And then I, I love to explore the idea that, you know, like the iPhone is a computer and a phone. Mm-hmm. Pokemon is the love of pets and our fantasy, fascination with fantasy, right? And there's a, a host of examples like that. And over time, once, once again, this whole first part, a lot of what we're talking about is the very yep. first chunk of the book. Even Love Curiosity is like the first or second chapter part two. It's very much a foundational idea. And when you start to see the world in this way, ideation and creativity just happens more naturally and more frequently. In terms of mastery, I, I actually, I look at mastery as a group, not a level of skill. Um, at some point, think about this, you get so good that you're in the top 1%, but the ability in that 1% chunk could actually be as dramatically different uh, between the, the the 99%, like the, the very next percentage below that, for example. You have karate that, uh, you know, you get to a black belt in karate and say, I'm a master. But actually, there's nine more degrees of black belt after that. And so really, mastery is sort of saying, I'm not so good that I am... Um, I am now incredible at this thing as much as I've reached a category of, of people who understand this, that is incredibly small, but it does not mean that I am now a a powerful wielder of this. Like I will always have something to learn. You know, if you take like the most incredible cancer doctor, for example, in the whole world, they might know cancer better than anyone else. It's still not solved. 
right? We still haven't quote unquote mastered cancer. And I kind of think about it like that. Uh, if like, if you are to ask me when in reality, I don't think about like, I, I, I try not to think about how I compare to anyone, yeah. I, you know, like compete against yourself. is actually a chapter and yep. it's one of the most popular and it's essentially saying you're really in a race with yourself, not yep. everyone else. Because if you compare yourself, you're just going to, you'll always be lesser than because out of the 8 billion people on earth, you're, it's a guarantee that there are better people out there. So if you are comparing, you're never going to be satisfied. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. Um, I'd be remiss if I passed up this, the, the chapter and I just had to look it up. Um, the, the law of simplicity and this one, you use a story about, uh, Lego Tetris and Minecraft, which, uh, are three things that in, in our house we absolutely love. And for, for those just listening, like I have multiple Lego things behind me in my office and, and we play so much Minecraft and not as much Tetris these days, but, uh, used to play a lot of Tetris, which, um, are there, there are essentially three things, you know, created with blocks as their fundamental unit. And, uh, you know, the, the idea of the law of simplicity is that, uh, with, uh, more options, and I'm just reading, the less likely you are to make progress. So by limiting ourselves, we're actually able to expand our creativity. And uh, and I think that for, for those of us who uh, have created, that definitely rings true. And uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? By you know putting some boundaries around what we're doing, it actually opens up the, the ability to be creative. Yeah, it's, it's this is one of my favorite chapters too. As someone who loves just games and creating, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm like pulled in a hundred directions. Um, but you know, if you think about how humans and chimpanzees share ninety eight point eight percent of DNA, yet the one one point two percent difference has put us in space uh, and you know chips and trees. It's kind of like that where you don't have to be so dramatically different. Like just because blocks is a fundamental concept of all three, doesn't mean that these are now going to be almost the same game. When you have Legos blocks and building and Tetris is blocks and puzzling and Minecraft is blocks and crafting. And just just even 50% different is dramatically different results. Uh, So when you start to think about you know, this is again in the early part of, of the process. So when you start to think about what does it actually take to create, it's not so much that you need to take all of these things that have never been done before and now mix those. It's more like you just need to take a recipe and maybe make an adjustment. And, and when we talk about limitations, I like to say, you know, drop someone in a field and say it's a huge, you know, let's just say 300 acre field. I don't know actually how big that is. I'm a city boy, but there's 300 acre fields. Seems big to me. And say, find the exit gate. Well, now you're like, I don't know. You have to wander around. And that's, that is freedom actually becomes a detriment. But now let's say I drop you on the, on a road, the beginning, and I say, find the end. And it's literally, you just go straight. And that is the power of good limits. When you are creating is you create those boundaries so that the answer is almost obvious. The answer in the road is I have no direction to go but this direction because I have so well-defined what I am doing. 
Um, and we had, you know, like when we created a pen at Baron Fig, we had very, very strict rules around, hey, we want to make a pen that works with our notebook that's minimal. And no matter how many functions the pen does, we want there to only be one moving part. That was just our thing that we had. Because a lot of times uh, you have at the top, you'll click or spin to get the tip out. And then in the middle, you'll twist it and you'll replace the ink. Mm -hmm. And so we challenged ourselves, what if we could make one mechanism do two things? How cool would that be? And that was the problem we went to solve. And so the Squire pen ends up being, actually have one here, um, doesn't help people who are listening, but it's <laughs> essentially like an exceptionally phallic object with no clip or anything. And there's just one moving part that is, uh, it both retracts the tip. And if you twist it past a stop, you get the ink out. And then the whole pen design fell into place because it's, it's once we solve for that, the expression just became now just everything else is as simple as possible. And the pen, the Squire ended up being ranked number one out of a hundred pens tested by New York magazine. So we did, you know, we did something right. Um, and it's because we were not in a field going in all directions. We were on the road going in one. Yeah, that's, <laughs> um, that's, that's really great. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm super excited because looking at a whole bunch of the, and this is a little bit of a, of an aside, um, each, each year on our, on our podcast, we also do, uh, like gift suggestions for product managers and designers and looking through Baron fig, there's a, there's a number of what appear to be really, really great options for our gift list this year. So I'm, yes. I'm excited. I'm excited to try some out and then, um, hopefully put together, uh, some items that will be on our, our product and UX uh, gift list. So anyway, that's oh, an aside, but I was oh, thinking, I was thinking about that and I was like, oh man, I, I, whenever I see something, I'm like, I, I want that. I'm like, okay, that that's probably a good item for, for our end of your uh, gift list. Oh dude, I'm so, going to, I'm going to send you some stuff. We'll talk after this okay, and I'll, okay. I'll make sure we, we hook you up with some goodies to check All out. All right. Yeah. Looks, looks really awesome. Um, you know, we've, I've, I've got a ton of questions, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to start, uh, I know we've been, we've been talking for a little while, so I'm going to shorten some of my final questions here. Um, you know, we, we have been focusing on, on some of the earlier, um, you know, the mindset and process thing, getting a little bit later into the book, um, you know, some of the excellence things, um, you discuss the law of habitat and which is really about the creative environment, both internally and externally, um, you know, creating the right environment for us to be creative and it's conducive for creativity. How, how can we do that? How can we create the, the right space for ourselves to be creative? Yeah. Uh, I talk about the law of habitat, which is tending to, um, you know, the conditions in which you create before you jump into creating. And there are, there are two habitats that uh, I discuss it's the internal and the external habitat. You know, it's, it's similar to, to what we discussed a little bit earlier, um, but actually tending to that in a different way to optimize it so that you're set up for success. So for your internal habitats, your mind, and it's just it's you know it sounds it sounds like new agey, and I'm like <laughs> talk about your feelings, but but really uh, you know everybody should have a professional or a confidant that they can open up to. 
and unscramble the thoughts. You, you can't do it alone. It's, it's if everything else in your life you have help with. Why do you think, why is it all of a sudden okay that my mind needs to be tended to singularly by me? And it's, it's just kind of, uh, it's just a false, false uh, approach. And so journaling is another way, developing mantras. Uh, there was there was one time I read in the book where mm-hmm. I was uh, I had a bad experience in Japan and I was in the hospital uh, with food poisoning and basically then holed up in a hotel for five days and I just needed to get back home but it was like a sixteen hour flight and like, I was I was on the verge of having a panic attack like I just could like I felt so terrible still. And I couldn't imagine sitting on that plane. I'm six foot three. It's already uncomfortable, you know, being on a plane. And I created a mantra that it wasn't like an active uh, choice. It just, it seemed like the only thing that was going to get me through. And I actually said, you are a champion to myself. Something like, I think I wrote 19,000 times. I did the math later on. But by saying that over and over, I tended to my internal habitat because I did not let any thoughts get in. I literally just said it so many times back to back that I could not get the anxious thoughts to build and thus cause a problem. Uh, and so mantras, you know, are powerful in a lot of different ways. And that was how I happened to use that one. And then for your external habitat, um, you can craft a space that you work in through trial and error, through conversation, so lots of experimentation research. I pose a few ideas. Um, And the one example I use at the end of that chapter, that's a really easy one to parse is um, Henry David Thoreau, uh, legendary, famous author of yesteryear. He essentially uh, was a bottled up writer living in the city and he did not know how to to get the clarity that he needed. And so he went, um, actually was somehow friends with Ralph Waldo Emerson. I think it was his, his teacher. He goes and he lives in a pond in a cabin that's the size of a room. Um, and he lives there, I think it's for one year, one month, and one day. And that pond is called Walden, the name of the masterpiece that he ended up writing. And by changing his external habitat, he was able to uncover uh, some of the thoughts and ideas and allow them to flow in ways that he just couldn't in the habitat that he had originally existed in. So that's a that's a solid example of you know tending to your space. Yeah, and um, I think we all do it. It's, it's you know there's a bit of subconscious tending. There's a little conscious tending, which might be just like let me clean my desk. But then there's some really deliberate tending where you can actually just change your whole desk setup, your lighting, which way it's facing, the stuff around you, like what kind of stuff do you fiddle with, so on and so forth to create a space that really just directs you where you want to be with as little friction as possible. Yep. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, you have some upcoming chapters that are going to, uh, that are going to be uh, part of the expanded book on being more creative at home and work uh, that you found, you, you mentioned that you found as you have uh, either thought more about creativity and uh, want to help implement some of these ideas uh, in our lives. Can you give us like a thumbnail of, of you know, what, yeah, what your thinking yeah. is on that? When I was writing this book, I got, you know, of course, how to think creatively, how to act, 
act creative and how to be really masterful. But then people would ask me questions about, well, what do I do at home? Or how can I be more creative at work? And I wasn't writing a book to answer those so specifically, but I knew that they were important. So I wrote two bonus chapters and I had just wrapped up editing uh, with my editor and they went live. Actually, you can go get them now if you want to. Um, and it's how to be more creative at work, how to be more creative at home. And so for at home, I basically listed a bunch of ways to have intentional practice and be exceptionally fulfilled from it. And I use my example of playing the trumpet, which I'm terrible at music, but by exploring that, I'm able to learn a lot about what it means to not be good at something, what it means to be uncomfortable at 35 years old. I'm, because so many things I do now, I've done forever, you know, quote unquote, my whole life, or you know, since I was 20. And by doing a creative practice in which I'm not good at, it's shown me not only how to be uncomfortable and all that, but it also gives me a great appreciation for the things that I'm good at. Um, and so there's a, there's a host of ideas and, and mediums by which you can be creative. And then at work, it's a very simple idea that I wanted to write about. And I think it's really important. At work, we often misunderstand the ways in which creativity can be expressed. Because for many of people, they think that what is being done is the creative expression. So if the whole company is making X product, well, I didn't decide we're making X product. Well, shit, now none of this is creative for me. And that is absolutely not too because often what we do isn't up to us. And even as the, the founder and the leader of Baron Fig, I am still the person for the job on many things that I don't want to do. But the difference is not focusing on the what we're doing, but the how we're accomplishing those. And there is so much creative potential in how we go about achieving the, the, the what's that are delivered to us. So I have a whole chapter basically around um, helping you understand that how you do something is another realm of expression and then giving you examples and ways that you can sort of play around with that. Awesome. Uh, that sounds, that sounds really, really good. I, I, I love the sound of both of those, both at, at home and at work and how to kind of implement some of these ideas. And especially around being a beginner, uh, I, I picked up uh, the violin uh, uh, recently I'm, I'm absolutely terrible at it, but it's been one of those things that's like, you know, as, as other, as my kids are learning like new things, both languages and musical instruments and stuff. And it's like, it's okay to be a beginner at things yeah. and, and to be bad at things because that's how, you know, that's how we start. And then, uh, you know, that's how the creative process is. Like we don't start being good at something. We start being bad at things and then you know, we, we learn and grow and, and I don't know, that's, it's an exciting part of it. It's not a bad part of it. And we absolutely, yeah. No, no, that's so cool. I, I mean, I'm jealous that you can learn alongside your children and have that adventure together. It's something now that I'm going to kind of tuck in the back of my yeah. hat. Something I want to do when I have a kid. Yeah. Um, let me ask, of, of all the laws, so 39 laws, is there a favorite law that you have or one that has impacted you the most or one that kind of sticks out in your mind uh, most recently that you found really applicable? Yeah, there's there's um, there's one. There is. And it's uh, the chapter about Bruce Lee. Um, I thought I knew Bruce Lee, you know, or knew about him. And it turns out he's not. We think of this martial arts 
movie star and he's actually you know he did that for like the last three years of his life or four years of his life he was mostly an actual martial arts master for lack of a better term and one concept that i really like we've it's it's common and you've probably heard of it but it's it's the philosophy he shared on flexibility and it it kind of said like be like water you know water can crash and it can flow it can be strong and it can be smooth you put the water in the teapot it becomes a teapot put the water in the teacup it becomes a teacup kind of thing and you know i've always up until my you know discovering baron fig and what i wanted to do in my life i was lived a very chaotic you know non-disciplined life and um, I don't regret that. I had a lot of adventures that have taught me a lot. And then afterwards, I transformed into an a exceptionally disciplined uh, purveyor of, you know, forward motion. And I I kind of forgot for a while the value of being flexible. You know, I'm rigid, man. I get like, go to bed at 8 o'clock. You know, get up at like 4.30, 5.30, somewhere in there. Um, you know, I do meditate and then I read and then I write and then I like, you know, and then I'm went to go to the gym and then I go to work and all sorts of stuff. And, um, you know, I've encountered that that's given me a lot of trouble actually when something pops up that was unexpected in my life. It's not that I didn't have the space to handle it, but I didn't want to. And after really, really going deep on Bruce Lee and the philosophy and what he taught, it changed my thought on that. And it's, it's given me, you know, this, if I can say that any chapter has given me a gift, it's been that one. And, my wife is, you know, happier and, and she realizes like, you know, she doesn't have to tell me something the day before to make sure that I fit it in my schedule. So that's, that's kind of one of my favorites in terms of what it's given to me. And that's in the back part of the book in the, the, um, excellence part. Yeah. And I hope, yeah. uh, I hope for everybody probably has a different, do you have a, a chapter that kind of hit you in a way where you were like, huh, I, I need to think about things differently. Um, you know, I mentioned the, so I wrote down, uh, on, on my little note card here, uh, the, that I, I love, and we talked about, uh, two and eight. I, I love like mindset things and, and I'm just like huge into a lot of those. So we talked about two and eight and then number one as well. Um, just the idea of, uh, being weird and different and, and owning some of that. And, um, I think I don't know. That's been like in my mind a lot, you know, some of the, uh, not just the weirdness, but the difference in some of the cachet around that, like owning some of those things. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm big into, I, I just love like, how do we, how do we get some of those fundamentals and mindset things and then build on those. And so, um, those, those were the ones that I, I don't know. I, I wrote down as like really, really enjoying and loving. So one, probably one, two and eight really stood out to me. And we, we kind of talked about a bunch of those, but the, yeah, that's the, for sure. yeah, the stories throughout um, were, I, I thought were really great. Now I'm, I'm going to have to go do a whole bunch more reading on, on Bruce Lee. Cause that, that uh, you, you touched on it a little bit, but that I, I kind of want to dive deeper now in, in, yeah, into all of that. He really, this is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Joey, this has been an amazing conversation. I feel like 
I feel like we, I could keep going on this forever and we could probably do multiple yeah. hours of this, but um, this has been a really, really great conversation. I have a couple wrap up uh, questions for you that we usually do, but before we get to that, any final thoughts or comments on anything we've talked about or, or didn't talk about? Um, you know, you, you did such a good job. And at the end, I usually try to pull in some thoughts of like, I want to make my point about why creativity matters, or I want to point out this concept because I know it's an easy one for everybody to grab onto. But you read the book and you know, I said this earlier, but I, I want to say it again. It's just so much appreciated because um, for everyone out there, it's not, ne- it's not necessary. Like, I'm coming on to be the person to talk about the book. So you know, the host doesn't have to, but the fact that you did, you know, took that time and, and, and you enjoyed it. Um, you really, you were very well prepared to make a conversation that, that touched upon why this book had to be written. So I, for the first time, I like, I don't have anything to add. You know, thank you for uh, your time and thanks for not just your time today, but you know, this book is 400 pages. So thanks for <laughs> that's a lot of time. Thanks for reading. Um, I, I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you for the book. Again, I, I will plug it because I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm not just saying that. It, this is one that uh, I I will be referring back to frequently because I, again, I love the stories. I loved uh, the the different parts of it, um, the, the things that you wrote about. I just, I'm a huge fan. I, 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 I really, <laughs> really enjoyed it. It was, uh, I think, extremely well-written and very very consumable so it wasn't it wasn't one of those books that you have to kind of slog through it was it felt like it was a rapid read because uh you you get through you know each each story and each law so you you know you just one after the other and and it just felt like um like you weren't having to get through it it just felt like you, you were moving quickly through each of them and i i really enjoyed it so kudos to you for writing a very very readable and very interesting book. Um, we will put the link in the show notes for everybody to check that one out. Um, you know where they can get that, and I believe it is available for pre-order right now on on your website. Is that right? Uh, yeah. If you go to joeycafone.com/book, that'll basically tell you all about the book in a little bit more detail, and it'll give you a few paths you can take depending on how you want to consume it. Okay. Awesome. We'll put the link there in the show notes. Um, if people want to find out more about you and uh, obviously the book, you know, we'll put that there. Uh, Baron Fig, where can they find out more about all of that? Yeah, go to baronfig.com. It's Baron, like the red Baron, and Fig, like the fruit. And then, uh, you know, there's a bunch of stuff at joeycapone.com to take you to Baron Fig, take you to my social stuff, the newsletter. I mean, the whole world waiting for you check it out awesome okay we'll put all of the links in the show notes to those um great well we've got uh two final questions just kind of wrap us up and as we as we end this we usually uh, ask everybody uh, for any shout outs or gripes that they have but anything that you have read or watched or listened to recently that you have found interesting and would like to share yeah, two things real quick. Uh, I just recently read Ernest Hemingway's Old Man in the Sea. It's a, a, for some reason, I was never assigned it and realized that I kind of missed my opportunity. And it reminded me of the story of Icarus flying too close to the sun, but how that, that's uh, not always a bad thing. 
So I recommend that. And then I just yesterday started watching Cyberpunk Edge Runners, the animated series on Netflix. Sounds like an advertisement. <laughs> um, and I played the game Cyberpunk, and I thought it was just really neat how um, they basically the, the game, you know, game world is already made. And so for the animators, they just looked at the game and were able to take a bunch of um, settings and stuff that was like already poured over. So I'm, I'm so curious as to how they, how, if it was so much easier to make this because all the settings were done, like the, the style of the lighting, just the locations are all made. And so they basically just really had to tell a story and, and animate it. Um, so I'm kind of really digging that. Nice. All right. We'll have to check that one out. That sounds really interesting. Um, yeah. All right. And last question, uh, especially as a, a product and design person, are there any products that you have used recently or are using that you're either enjoying or haven't enjoyed? Yes. The, uh, we mentioned PS5 earlier, yeah. but I just got this thing. <laughs> and the controller is so neat how, um, you know, f- for people out there who haven't messed around with it, it's basically, there's something called adaptive triggers where for the first time, they've kind of created res- controllable resistance in the two triggers on the left and right. So for example, if you're pulling back a bow and arrow, they can you can feel the resistance as you get closer towards knocking your arrow, like the, the farther back you go, it's harder to literally pull the trigger. And that's so, so neat um, of an experience. You know, at 35, still being able to experience video games in different ways is, is, is a joy for me. And the controllers are really well done, which I'm sure you know as well. Yeah, I was I was amazed. I, I think that it was just um, that. And they have uh, the uh, the headphones that go along with it too, that have uh, like the, depending on distance within the games and stuff, um, you know, hearing uh, different sa- like uh, sounds and, and that sort of thing. So they've, they've really made it like an immersive experience with, with all of it. I thought, I thought it was just really, really well done how they brought all of it together. So it's, it's cool stuff. All right. Well, Joey, this has been a, Again, a pleasure. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I would uh, keep talking to you for several hours, but uh, I think we have covered some amazing ground. Um, and again, really appreciate it. Appreciate the book um, and the conversation that we've had. So thank you again so much for joining us and, and uh, sharing some of your experience and thoughts. Kyle, man, thank you for having me. Um, you know, Likewise, I enjoyed it so fun when I get to talk to someone who's kind of on the same page and, you know, has some questions and and contributes some thoughts that I haven't thought about. And you kind of like nailed it. So thanks for such a good conversation. Uh, It went, it went quick, which is the best compliment I can get. (laughs) It did. It went went very fast. All right. Well, uh, thank you again, everybody for listening and uh, we will talk again next time. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter at prod by design. That's prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter product thinking at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kyle Larry Evans as well, 
or check out my Medium publication, uh, Product by Design. Thanks again.